Welcome to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today, he's a bit of a legend in South Auckland. Some call him the Samoan Dr. Dre. Um, I call him the man with the legacy that has more weight than a hippopotamus. My man, Anonymous. Yo, thank Yo. you for having me. Say levels. Yo, All good. Um, Anonymous has brought a few of the boys here. So yeah. we're probably having a party afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Can you just Road move trip. the uh, mic? Yep, just a bit for you. So um, first off, bro, like, uh, how come you uh, chose the name Anonymous? Because you're not really anonymous anymore. You're, you're quite well known now, hey? <laughs> yeah, man, thanks for having me. Um, no, it's all good, bro. The name Anonymous. I, I just feel like growing up, like a lot of us, you know, is quite confused. Growing up in different environments, quite, yeah, yeah. quite schizophrenic. The life at home was different to the life you had at church, which was different to the life you had at school, which was different to the life... And up your way car park on a Friday, Saturday night, you know, you just become different people to different environments. And yeah, so yeah. I'd always kind of, you know, that stereotypical, oh, trying to find myself, don't know who I am. So, you know, um, and also in hip hop, that whole thing of um, when you're trying to come up with a cool name for yourself, an yeah, artist yeah, name. Yeah, and true. I went through so many different names and yeah, when, you know, I just, I uh, wish I didn't have to have a name. And then I can't remember who I was like, hey, there's a name for having no name. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, anonymous I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, you know, did the whole hip hop thing, changed the S to a to a Z, you yeah, know, yeah. switch it up. Gotta a keep little. a hood, man. Yeah, and also I guess because I've got a lot of different backgrounds in different areas of music, and I've just grown up in, like I said, quite different environments. So, I kind of feel like in my creative practice, I create different identities and different projects I go into. So, yeah, yeah. in the morning, I might be doing hip hop and. I kind of draw from those experiences, and that's the that's the character I play for that project. Yeah. And then I'm working with an orchestra, and I have to remember that part of me. And then if I'm doing something for my parents and cultural resourcing, so anonymous is just a blank space, a blank slate, yeah. and I just create different. I pull on different experiences depending on the project and the, whatever has, the stories they have. Has anyone ever compared you to that hacking group called Anonymous? Yeah, you know, like the, hackers, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the cyber security, the the cyber security hackers have hacked governments and stuff. If it'd be like, yo, man, are you part of that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it was the TPPA. They had that march on, and uh, I actually went on there with one of those anonymous oh, masks, yeah, 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 yeah. things. And um, yeah, and a, a few people caught on to that, and they thought it was quite funny. But yeah, I mean, the name to me, uh, it's a bit of a gimmick. But you know, whether people know me or not, the name still applies. So. Yeah, yeah, nah, nah. You Man. are the name now, bro. So yeah, yeah. Um, so um, let me know how you got into music, bro. How did it all begin, man? Yeah, like a lot of us in church. Church was the yeah. foundation for me. Um, nice, Margaret Samuel Methodist. So yeah, my parents forced me into you know to play piano for church. Yeah, um, they wanted me to play for choir and all that sort of thing. How so they, how young were you when you when they first got you into it? Seven, seven years old oh, was yeah. when I first started playing piano. Yeah, uh, and they. Put me with my auntie. She played organ, my auntie Fiona, and I just shadowed her piano lessons young, and then I got into it myself. And it was purely for that purpose of, you know, eventually playing for our choir, our Alfa Pesce. Yeah. Um, and that's where I started to learn how to play piano. Uh, went through the classical scene, had a private, um, like, like a, a piano teacher that I saw every Saturday. Uh, and, yeah, just transitioned into playing for choir. But, you know, the... Uh, Did you ever sing on the choir as well or just play? Nah, I suck at singing. I just <laughs> play, man. But then I discovered hip-hop and that's when I started to 
kind of uh, take those skills that were supposed to be playing church music and start trying to imitate Iron Manager yeah, yeah. or whatever piano was was on the hip-hop songs. And then I started, yeah, that's kind of where it all started for me was, you know, initially getting the discipline of playing piano through playing for church. But mm. I caught that hip-hop bug and yeah. everything changed after that. One of the cool things about piano is you can transfer it to hip-hop beats and, and stuff quite easily because you can make a lot of beats using a keyboard. Yeah. Um, do you use a drum machine as well when you make beats, or is it mostly through the keys? So, yeah, I started off making beat pause tapes on cassette on cassette decks. Oh, oh real. So that, that, that's where I really caught the production bug. I didn't know till later on, much later on, that other people were doing it, but I know as a kid, like, I was fascinated. Uh, in our lounge, we had, a, you know, for those who... I'm sure a lot of people out there still remember the cassette tape decks, but there was an oh, A yeah, tape deck and a B tape deck, and you know I'd record like on the on the Casio keyboard like two minutes of just drum beats, playing the drums, and then you'd play that on tape B and press hit hit record on tape A, and so you're hearing the drums back, but now you play a bass line, and so you know it's the Casio and the mic input of the cassette yeah, deck, yeah, and yeah. then you know you then have the tape on tape A that's now got the the drums and the bass, yep. and you swap the tapes out play that back and now you're adding the keys on top and you just keep going back and forth on these tapes until you get a really hissy tape but yeah. it's an instrumental mm-hmm. um, and that's how I you know transferred those piano skills into making beats on a cassette tape deck. Yeah. and that was also because I was forced to because I, I really wanted to be a rapper back then but like when, you know mucking around with mates at church and stuff because I was the only one that knew how to play they were like no 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 let us rap you make the music for us and yeah. All that sort of oh, thing. So, so I kind of eventually just got pushed into that. Yeah, I wish yeah. I could rap though. I've given well, it do, a shot. Do you, do you prefer being front and center or do you like being I like in the back. Yeah, yeah. I like being in the back. That's good too. Anonymity mm. too. You don't have to worry about fame or anything. Although I'd imagine that people stop you quite a bit in South Auckland and be like, hey, bro. Yeah, well, yeah, it's in my personality. I can be socially awkward trying to front foot a lot of things. Some, some, some of the roles I'm in, I had to do that. It's, I'm not totally yeah. comfortable with it. And uh, but yeah, I'm definitely happy in the background, just yeah. shaping things. And yeah, because you've done quite a bit of stuff. Like obviously, you have done a, a bit of rapping and stuff. But you you've done you've done beats. You know, a bit of DJ basics in terms of scratching and stuff yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And you've done uh, film. And you, I actually only found this out recently that you've you've conducted like orchestras and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, a whole bunch of crazy stuff. The videography's been more so the part, the recent four or five years. But yeah. l- like I said, my training in classical background, that really underpinned a lot of things that I do now. So, yeah, I write for orchestras. I program music. I songwrite. I- anything around music and sound, that's what I really, really love. But the past four or five years, it's transferred over into the visual storytelling. Is there one particular medium. particular thing that you like to do more than the others? Or is there one, like say with mixing, right? You know how, yeah. or when you're doing a track, you, there's the, the part of making the beat and then recording and then the mixing and the mastering. Is there a particular part of that process you like the most? And is there a part that you don't like? I know when I do yeah. it, I hate mixing because it yeah. takes ages. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I... Man, I've got one of these personalities. I just we, we I just look for the something that I haven't done before, something new, something exciting, and I get distracted quite easily in that kind of way. Uh, and so, I think of all the different things, it's when you. F- I, I like the act of um, making, producing uh, that producing the creating, music, the yeah. Creating, yeah, like the the feeling of 
digging for a sample and when you find that sample or hear something that you're like and immediately you calculate in your head how that could be flipped yeah yeah or how you could loop it or how you could slow it down or how that end product of that potential could be that that part of the process is my favorite part yeah or when you're mucking around on the piano and you're trying different chords when you when you come across a combination of chords that you can hear yeah can become the foundation of something of all the different things to me that's the favorite feeling it's yeah that discovery of potential yeah. i was i was talking to uh one of my previous guests unchained about this but do you ever get writer's block where you're just sitting there in front of your your keyboard and you're just like oh man nothing's nothing's coming to mind yeah yeah all, all the time <laughs> all the time all the time all and the time. i remember being at one of these workshops where dave dobbin was you know his legendary songwriter yeah. and he was like for every hit of his was a hundred crap songs yeah uh, you know and that was the ratio for a legendary songwriter so you know i try to discipline myself to still keep pushing through even when i'm not inspired knowing yeah. that you just got to try to get your ratio probability numbers up to get you know so do you, do you go away and come back or do you just stay on the keys and just keep going until you, something comes and on my archives i've got some beats that have been there for 10 years 15 years and something that might come out now or the past recent past couple of months or past year has been something that i sketched out 10 years ago and it just what didn't connect then but now it kind of makes sense so you go through um, the vault and then find some old stuff yeah so i've got a vault an archive of just things that i just sketch and, yeah. and pretty much my life now is off my archives i've got so much archival beat sketches sound samples and footage pretty much anything i do now i'm just like okay what's the story require pull up the files and oh, i remember that beat you know you still kind of remember little sketches you you know, I started with and so yeah, forth. Yeah. So. so like if an artist hits you up, hey man, you got any beats, you'll go to your archive and try and find something that you think might fit the artist or or do you start something from scratch? Yeah, um, both. Both, you yeah. know, Quite often both. Uh, yeah, in a way, I, I just like documenting a whole bunch of stuff, having a whole bunch of raw files and samples on standby. So regardless of the project or the artist, you know, at least I've got a starting point there instead of having to always start from scratch. But then by the same token, I deliberately try to train myself to create from scratch all the time because that's high pressure. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. And I never used to enjoy those sessions, but I've a lot of the biggest tracks I've done have been under high pressure where I've had to create in front of an artist, you know, like you're not like handing... On the spot. On the spot, from scratch. Everybody watch me make it. Let's go. You know, that... Is I, that a bit... Uh, nerve-wracking though absolutely looking after you over your shoulder like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah totally a absolutely it is but i found that i kind of thrive in those elements where it's under high pressure yeah, um yeah. yeah so i try to make sure that i've got a balance of both i've got a lot of archives where i can pull from stuff and create build on something i've already got or i've conditioned myself enough to be able to jam on the spot and create from scratch if need be so yeah, I try to train myself to do both. Is there, is there a particular genre that you find easier, like say classical or reggae or uh, jazz or whatever, if you're trying to emulate a certain sound? Because you've done some music, you've done a bit of music for um, film, haven't you, or short films and things? <sighs> yeah, a whole bunch of stuff, yeah. I, I've film. done, I did I did uh, a score for like a 48-hour film festival where I yeah. had to compose something in, it was in 12 hours, like yep. an entire score. And you picked a genre out of a hat, yeah. And we got musical, yeah. But they chose to do the music last, 
So oh. they all sang yeah. and most of them were out of tune. And then I had to try and accompany yeah. the music to to it. And even even that process in itself was pretty difficult because it's a completely different thing, right? Scoring to uh, a moving image. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love scoring for film, and I've yep. done quite a few. I mean, one of the first ones that I actually did was with uh, it was for a short feature film for the Film Commission, and it was a hip-hop uh, dance film um, with Paris Goebel doing all the choreography, and um, Rawiri Paratene from Whale Rider and all those movies, he was the lead actor, and that was a really weird one because they had a script, and I had to just read the script and make the music off the script without even seeing... The actors really? and the dancers, yeah. And then I'd sketch something, throw it to them, and then Paris and the team, whatever, would respond. And that, whatever they danced, the director would film that, send it back, and then I would add another. It was, it was quite. Oh, okay. So a lot of back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I learned heaps off that project. And that was uh, a project by director Jack Woon, who is now one of the main guys for the Take Home Pay and the yeah, whole bunch yeah. of these films. So. Essentially, a lot of what I do has been the product of being around other creatives yeah. and just watching kind of how they work and their processes and so forth. So whether it's film, music, theatre, sound design, whole yeah, I, I do a whole bunch of different stuff, but I count them as real blessings because I've the areas of music I would have never produced music in if yeah. they hadn't had kind of reached out. Otherwise, I'd just be making beats in my bedroom. But yeah, a lot of these projects are a result, result of people giving me a chance, giving me a shot. Like, hey, all that stuff you're making beats in, can you make it for this film? Can you make it for this live theatre show? Can you make this in our art gallery? Can you make this in our museum? So how, and, does, it, how does it come about? Just people just reach out to you? Yeah. Or is it someone who knows someone that might... Man, Hook you I, up. I don't know how. So it do you works. do you go chasing it? Or no, do I I do not do any advertising. <laughs> I don't do run any ads. My whole career today has been analog and offline. Yeah, uh, I've posted more and done more on social media in the past two weeks in the whole past two years combined. Yeah, I suck on social media. Head sucks. So everything's just been referrals, man. Like in the background. But in some um, ways, that's good, man. I mean, I've had conversations with other people before, but social media can kind of consume your life in some ways yep. i can see that i've been on a bit of an <laughs> experiment recently to just see how it works how the game works but also I, I treat social media like a training ground for me yeah like the whole process of a music video i try to compact it in and do a music video every day for yep. social media and people yeah, are like, man yeah. you can't keep that up and i'm like well uh, you know this is my training regime you're just watching it live in 15 second increments online and so yeah, forth yeah, but yeah. um yeah, I social media is its own thing, but you know, for me, I was always taught to just be the hardest working person in the room, and if you impress those people that gave you a shot, it's gonna get you the next shot. And yeah. like, this is what I've been doing full time for a long time now, off the radar, behind the scenes, doing what I love. Like every day, I just open up my laptop and I'm like, am I making beats today? Am I shaping sound? Am I shooting video? Am I doing any combination of those? And mm. and it's yeah, I just living my best life at the moment but I realize it's only because people gave me a shot in these other different worlds of you know taking what I do and applying it to what they do and you know it impresses their audience and then they're like hey get the call up to try this thing and so forth so yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. do you do you find directing easier as opposed to making music Directing well because you've done you've done a bit of directing with yep in, in terms of music videos and stuff I've seen like on your uh, what is it? Website with the green screen. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. Um, like I said, I I'm one of these guys. Like 
that just gets distracted by new things that I haven't done before. So I see a green screen. I have no idea. I just know, oh, okay, that's that's one of those things where you can change the background. So even, you know, just YouTube, see how you do it, give yeah, it a yeah, shot, yeah. and then ask some industry person that's in the industry how you do it properly, and then you just kind of figure it out. And so I do, just love Do, do you know how stuff. to do any visual effects? I have I've so one of the artists that I'm with Snare, like one of his, his first videos, like that video is us playing around with effects yeah, and yeah. just trying to figure stuff out. So I'm also conscious that it's it's like a rabbit hole, you know? Like once you go into effects on a music video, you oh, yeah. freaking yeah, spend yeah. the whole next day trying out music, you know, different effects and stuff. So yeah, I, I just try to, I just get caught up in creative things you know like that i haven't done before so music videos and docos and all these different things that i'm doing the majority of the reason i'm doing is because it's it's exciting it's something i haven't done before and i think that's also that hip-hop thing like when you discover how to make beat pause tapes or when you discover a loop for the first time you you just get addicted to it you want that feeling of new over and over and over again and i'm conscious now as a rapper uh as a hip-hop person that we my generation tends to like reminiscing on stuff yeah. that you're familiar with. And I know I need to counterbalance that by looking forward into things that I don't know. You know, that feeling of when you f- you fall in love with hip hop for the first time, it's because you haven't heard hip hop before. Yeah, And so I'm, that feeling of something you haven't had before, I try to recreate that all the time as a creative. So I'm not wanting to stay stagnant and just doing the same thing over and over again. I'm always looking for that hip hop feeling of what's the next, thing what's the next way to flip something and make something different out of something so have you is there anything that you've seen on the horizon or anything you haven't done that you're like man i really want to do that in terms of because it sounds like you've you've done ai ai and ar uh, augmented reality artificial intelligence that's in a big of, part in terms of what do you mean exactly the way um i mean programming you, you, ai to do music like what do you mean Exactly, by AI and AR. So certain certain parts of the process can be sped up so you can spend more time focusing on the creative as opposed to the technical. Right. Like like you were talking about the mixing, right? Yeah. So I just used the RX-7 plugin by Isotope. Um, Yo, that's one of mine too, bro. Like freaking heck. Yeah. Chuck that on and it fixed, you know, just chucking it on that, Two, three seconds to click something yeah. saved me what I, you know, if I was to use a compressor and an EQ and try to sweep the frequencies, it would have taken me 10 minutes. Yeah. So I saved 10 minutes of technical time that yeah, I can now right. put onto the creative time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, they, that's best practice. That's the best technology. There's no industry standard. So yeah, I'm yeah. looking, okay, well, how can I optimize my production flow across music, sound, and video so that I'm spending I'm really efficient at the technical, so I can maximize my time on the creative yeah. and just build a team around that. So I, I definitely think that's a space that I'm wanting to move into is to just kind of really get my flow technically on lock so I can free up time to just explore the creative side of things. Because how much how much time do you spend per day doing doing all this stuff? Do you get up? Is it, is, it, is it like a routine where you're like, bang, I get up, I open my laptop, I make a beat, then I go do this? then do that man my, or my, is it just whatever yeah it's crazy these days it's whew. any given day is different man yeah some days i'm uh doing hip-hop things another day i'm doing a hip-hop thing within 
uh, dance theatre context. And then the next day I'm writing for an orchestra. Next day I'm filming someone resources for for some agency that's going to roll it out nationwide. Next day we're just doing promo for the master soundtrack. Yeah, there's so much different things that I'm doing at the moment, and and like I said, I've, I just love keeping myself busy with different creative things that just keep me on edge. I, I don't like getting bogged down with the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So how did the uh, 37 Hertz thing come about? How did you how did you go about starting that company? Um, and how did you come up with the name 37 Hertz? Oh, yeah, everyone always asks about 37 Hertz. Um, okay, so essentially, like sound is measured in Hertz. Yeah. You know, um, yep. for those there's people, there's people listening and watching, they're probably like, what yeah, like what's, what what's the hell's a Hertz? Yeah, right. so in the same way you measure distance in centimeters, kilometers, whatever. So the measurement unit for sound is Hertz. So, like, if you imagine like a rubber band, if you slacken it and you flick it, it's a lower sound. Um, and you can see the vibration. So, you know, the lower the number, the lower the, the frequency. So yeah, like 20 right. hertz is like a really low note and you can see the sound waves. And if you tighten the um, rubber band and you flick, it's a higher sound and it's faster vibration. So yeah. how fast the vibration is dictates the, you know, um, the pitch or, or the notes. So like, for example, all orchestras, they tune off an A on the piano just below middle C and that's 440 hertz. Yeah. So... Uh, that's vibrating 440 times a second. So basically for me, um, I found it fascinating that like, you know, for most people that when they learn the piano, they play a C major chord, you know, C, E and a G. But if you move that E to an E flat, um, it feels like a minor, mm. you know? So uh, the the difference between a major chord, which makes you feel happy, um, is a... Is a, it has an E flat in the middle of the C and the G, and then when you lift that E flat to an E, uh, it makes you feel happy. So yeah. E flat makes you feel sad. E makes you feel happy. Yeah. And E flat is 422 vibrations a second hertz, and the E is 459. So simply going from 422 frequencies to 459 frequencies, you can change somebody's emotion from sad to happy. So 37 frequencies. The air vibrating ah. 37 times more changes your human emotion. Yo, that's brilliant, man. That's brilliant. Man. And I found that like freaking fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we're not even talking art here. We're talking pure science. Yeah. Like we're just saying that the air moves a little bit faster and you go from feeling sad from that minor chord to happy. So was that something you just were like thinking of randomly one day or did I saw it on a TED talk. Uh, uh, oh, a, a classical uh, yeah, yeah. Michael Tilson. He was just explaining you know, the fundamentals of, of music and, and so forth. And when he explained this thing about the difference between major and minor chords, and he was saying, you know, the difference was that thing. I was like, that's that's insane. Because, yeah. we're, we're, you know, you kind of got the world of math and science over here, then you've got the world of art and creativity and subjectivity over here. Yeah. And yet something that's so subjective to us, what makes us feel happy and sad, is actually based on pure numbers. Yeah. So, yeah. That started getting so. That's what I, what my wife and I named so, our. So when you, so up. when you, did your wife hear it? Were you both watching it, or did you have to be like? I had hey. to show her, and oh, she yeah. tripped out too. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I mean, she, 
she's the backbone of so much of what I do. And she spent 10 years uh, working for the CEO of the Auckland Philharmonic Orchestra. So, you know, she's been around it all the time too. Oh, that's so. cool. So you guys like are both both in, into music and stuff and you're both on yeah, the Yeah, we're both on the, the creative arts. Absolutely. So um, two years ago, I was traveling with a cultural program um, and cut a long story short, like I knew after that trip, I had spent so, I'd been spent four four years on the road with this indigenous cultural revival program called Angu Fatsama 101. But basically, uh, I saved all my pre DMs and stuff from that trip, got back to N- NZ, um, and then bought the online domain, redeveloped the website. And I did was you like, redevelop the website personally, yeah, or did you yeah. pay? Really? Squ- Squarespace just went on. Uh, figured it out, and yep. then I had to because I'd I'd had anonymous.co.nz, but like I was really um, after coming back from that trip and wanting to kind of get back into the creative industry like really hard, like give it another shot. Um, yeah, I was like, okay, I I want to get the .com, I want to get the premium. Yeah, esta- yeah, And then you know some some company had bought it in the states for thousands, and they were like, we well, only give it to you for. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to put a commitment behind the brand, bought it, bought the site. Um, and like I was saying, everything that I've done in, in my career today has kind of been offline. I don't talk about it much and so forth. It's yeah. just kind of been sporadic all over the place. So put it all in one cohesive place on the website um, and just started. Yeah, we registered our, our company again, just got it all set up, formalized a whole bunch of projects. And we just... Yeah, because uh, up until that point too, my wife had been supporting me in a personal capacity. Yep. Like she's got a massive, uh, like she's OG in her own right in terms of her history, especially growing up as uh, in, in the Otara, uh music and creative scene. And she's been through numerous arts organizations, but people always assumed that we collaborated and worked together. Yep. Um, no, she was just supporting me as you know, as her husband. So when we kind of set up the company, we were like, no, nah, we are officially going to, uh, collaborate and work together like yeah. take the best of your arts management skills take the best of my artistic production skills and we're just gonna combine it and create this company and just see where it goes and we're now into our second year and we've just had some freaking insane wins along the way yeah. a lot of lows as well but it's all part of the game but yeah we're makes on a great stronger, journey man yeah it absolutely does you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger so ain't dead yet so obviously we're we're being prepared for bigger and better things that's cool man that that leads into my next question is how did the fast and furious hobson shaw thing come about oh congrats on that by the way thank you brother yeah yeah um yeah that was crazy man that that was a freaking hectic outcome so this cultural program that i was part of angufa summer 101 like I was their I was their videographer, content creator for four years. Yeah, eleven cities around the world: Auckland, Wellington, Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, Perth, Hawaii, Seattle. Each city numerous times, and uh, every time we used to go into Brisbane, I'd connect with all the homies that I used to do music with here. So one of the one of those was the movement. Yeah, uh, Otara, South Auckland. Um, you know, we had started to do a lot of music together prior to him making the move to Oz, and so we. Uh, every time I flew into Brisbane for this program, I'd always slide aside some time to connect up with them, you know. Yeah, yeah. And every time we go over, you know, you know, drop a verse here and there and so forth. So one of those trips over in 2016, I made, I had that beat, half beat, like we were talking about before. You yeah, know, yeah. Just it was a half beat, and um, I, I developed it on the plane uh, on the way over to Brisbane. 
Uh, and then after class, um, one evening, he was like, hey, you know, I'll take you out for feed if you haven't had dinner. He goes, so we're one in the morning in a hung- Hungry Jack's Burger King. Well, yeah, Hungry yeah, because it's called Hungry Jack's in Australia, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So we're just having a feed, man. And I still remember it clearly. He was in the driver's seat. I had the laptop and uh, Beats Pill. And he was like, play me some beats. And I was just playing through a couple of different beats. And then it was that track for Master. Mm. Like it was, a, it was a very early iteration of the beat. Like I said, I just added some drums on, on it or something on the plane. I had the sample. Uh, and yeah, he he was like, man, what are you doing with that? You know, but I knew it was a dope beat. And I was like, I was going to hold on to it. You know, it was one of those. I was like, oh, no, no, I'm gonna. But then I was like, I remember even hearing my own thoughts going, Bro, you've been holding onto that beat forever. It's not doing anything. It's not yeah. moving. It doesn't have any energy. You need to give it to somebody who's going to push it forward. So I was like, you know what? If you can do something cool with it, sweet. I woke up the next morning and he sent me he uh, screenshots. He had already got my record confirmed on it or something, like yeah, some yeah. OGs. And I was like, man, okay, cool. This could be a real thing. So, yeah, we kind of got it rolling. Then the next trip a few months later over, uh, came over, recorded his verse and um, – in his kitchen, um, we used to record upstairs, but I had gout <laughs> on that trip, so we just recorded in the kitchen. So his verse was recorded in the kitchen. You can yeah. kind of hear the reverb in the in the back. Um, yeah, and we just one thing led to another. Before you know it, we had all the, all the what, verses so, so, in. Sorry, what year was it? Two thousand sixteen. Two thousand sixteen. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. The track was done, and it was legendary, man. Like, I got to work with Kaz in the studio and, uh, you know, having Rex and Smooth and Capisi sent through their stuff. Like, I'm a massive fan of these guys. Like, oh, yeah. like to me, it was still quite surreal to kind of, you know, open up your inbox and have, you know, them send the verse. And, and I, you know, I'm... I'm still a fan first and foremost, so it was a real privilege. So once we got the track together, then he uh, wrangled one of the other boys that we've done projects with in the past, Tuki Low Man, Joe Murdy, and they shot the music video for it. Yeah, We put it out, and it was dope. It was cool. And that was that. You know, that was 2016, 2000, I think the video came out 2017. So cue to this year, we get a random email from from Move, and he's like, yo, I don't know if this is serious, but Universal are looking to use this track. For so how uh, they, they so how they find it? They just looked online. Yeah, they were, I don't know Samoan hip hop. Who knows what their team looked for? You know, um, and yeah. So my wife, who handles all our you know logistics and communications and stuff, yeah, she yeah. she looked into it, and we we're all skeptical. Uh, but she looked into it, and then she got back. She goes, "This is legit. This is actually possibly legit that this track could be on the Rock's next movie." So yeah. we're like. Yeah, whatever. And he's <laughs> like, because Move is right. Like, he was like, you know, in this industry, you get promised so much. And oh, yeah, man. You get I've, your... I've been through the same, dude. I totally know firsthand. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And yeah. then you get your hopes up, and then you're like, oh. It sucks when it yeah, does. Yeah. 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 So we were like, yeah, whatever, you know. And then it started to progress up the chain, you know. And, um, and you know, we're completely independent. Like, we're not a major label or anything. And yeah. to navigate, like, the the – the things you have to go through to deal with these Hollywood companies is like freaking insane, man. It's like, a like, whole other level of communication. What, what, what do you mean exactly? Like, do they ask you, do they call you and ask you a lot of questions or is it well, a just email, communi- yeah, email, email correspondence. correspondence and all the boxes you got to tick and all the legalities and, all, you know, you got to get lawyers involved and you got to make really? sure that you've got, yeah, because it's all, it all comes down to licensing and sync rights, you know, even very early on, it's very exploratory. Like, 
in, in the world of film, they trial the track. They're like, you know, we're just interested in using it. And, you know, as they develop the edit and the cut, they might move it around the movie or they might not use it at all and so forth. So, we're so when, they, when they contact you, they're like, hey, we're wanting to use it in a specific scene. Yeah. Um, is there some contract you just have to sign for the specific scene or is it? Yeah, well. And then did, as they move the scene, you have to sign, re-go, um, go back and then edit the contract to, to change things? Yeah, from what I understand, because my wife did the majority of these negotiations and, you know, she kept us all in the loop. But it, it everything's up in the air all the time. Yep. Everything constantly switches up till the last minute. Like, we were still negotiating when the trailers were out. Uh, so the tra- oh, really? That's what I mean. You know, this is how Hollywood, it's a whole nother, whole nother ball game. Like, the trailers are out, like, promoting the movie and they were still playing around with where they're going to put this... F- this track master in the actual film yeah so yeah we, we didn't get our hopes up but then you know closer to the time then they were like okay we're, we're going to use it in the chop shop scene we're going to you know they were quite specific yeah we initially it was going to be in this scene now it's going to be in this scene so when when um, they said they're going to use it in this scene did they actually show you the scene did nope. you get to see any? no we didn't see any, so you didn't see any of the footage until the premiere yeah and right. that's pretty much how it rolls with these guys you know yeah. but you know we had to sort it all in the background and all this sort of thing and for us it was it was crazy because not only did we get on the film like the film sync like it's actually in the film itself yeah. but then they got back and they were like actually we want to put it on the actual official soundtrack yeah so like when you go on to spotify or whatever like there's us in the middle of all these huge you know names like there's our names so that was a whole separate deal because that's so did a soundtrack. You, did you contact the rest of the boys? You know, the other guys who were on it, like Mariko and Poetic. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I mean about the whole, you've got to clear everything, make with sure them. the communications. Yeah, yeah. And they were they were all good with it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, we had to kind of navigate. There's so many people involved in the yeah, show. And yeah. this is the great thing about it. You know, like I, I don't want to get into specifics, but when we did the track in 2016, there's an industry way that you divvy up royalties and so forth like yeah. that. But, you know, for us, like as Indigenous Samoans, we kind of have used our own cultures as a frame of reference to how we operate in terms of the divvying up of of, of things and so forth. Yeah. So we made sure that all the boys were taken care of back in 2016 before we even got to this thing. So when this came around, it was easy. You know, we just made – it was just about lines of communication, making sure that everybody was, you know, knew what was happening and so forth. Uh, and it can be it can be quite complicated too because uh, without getting into too much details, people can research all of this. But you know, every artist on there would have to usually lawyer up and to oversee the contracts and so forth, and that takes a huge chunk of the actual fee from Hollywood. So yeah. we're like, no, let's round it up. Let's use one lawyer to oversee things There's so that we can keep way yeah yeah it. so you know it was just being about smarter with how we do things and yeah. just trying to keep those lines of communication open with everyone uh and you know that can be a complex process because everyone's from different teams and different crews and you know different levels of understanding about how the industry works but we knew that at the end of it you know it was all a lot it was all love it was all love from 2016 when we yeah. started the track when they all decided to help out the move on the track and you know he threw them the the bars and we cut them in on the royalties a certain way and so you know when this opportunity came up you know we're like, man, this is such a blessing. So, you know, hit the boys up and say, this is what, you know. That's cool because, like, sometimes in these cases, you know, when something blows up, particularly when it involves a a number, a a great deal of people, it can usually 
it can cause friction and oh, relationships when money is involved sometimes. So oh, it's, totally. it's cool to hear that that wasn't the case and that you guys were all on the same page. Look, there, there's friction regardless in these sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, that's but, true. But, you know, it's it's the industry, man, and yep. Hollywood's involved. And you, it's the the core underlying principle, like I said, for us is that even before we, we even use the word industry for the way me and my wife work, like we operate under our fundamentals of Samoa and the Samoan way of doing things. And it's to use an analogy like when an expedition goes out on a fish to, you know, catch some fish, a fishing expedition, when they bring it back, they make sure the whole village gets it. Yeah. You know, okay, take this to the to the minister, the faithful, take this to all the high chiefs, take this to these chiefs, and then the rest amongst the, just make sure everybody gets a part of this blessing, you know? And yeah. so we, before we even think about, uh, APRA, AMCOS, Recorded Music, all these organisations that get involved, brilliant. We we tapped into them. We, they, they were so grateful to them. They helped us navigate the space. But prior to that is that entrenched kind of belief where we're like, okay, we've got this opportunity. Like, who helped on the music video? Like, uh, Hollywood Husbands, who did some of the skits. Like, who, who was involved in this that needs to, in some way, catch some of these blessings? So it was a real blessing that we were able to just put our, you know, something that was sketched out in a car park over some food, you know, that that moment there could end up in this moment here. And yeah. so it was a it was a real blessing, man, to just know that, you know, you just focus on creating art, you know, just make the music. Like when we're sitting in that car park having a feed and playing beats, that's the furthest thing from our mind to think, of, oh, man, this could be a Hollywood soundtrack thing. That. That's not what we did it for. We're just making it because I was. I love making beats. He loves to rap. We love to throw up. Cool man, let's throw up our culture and our pride on this track. That's all it was. But yeah. to think that it could then somehow find its way onto somebody's email chain and Universal, who would refer it up to. You can imagine the amount of people that are pitching for these projects. Oh the yeah, of, yeah. There'll be like even talent agencies and everything in the absolutely. states that'll be. They have an artist, and then they'll be yep. like throwing it at Universal yep. or Disney or Sony or whatever. At any point in those communications, it could have been undercut. It could have been grass cut by somebody trying to get their project on. But we just, it's just a real blessing, man. We're just so grateful that that piece of art that we made, made its way through, you know, and yeah, it made its yeah. way all the way through and grateful to everybody, all the organizations like we, you know, I don't think a lot of the music industry here realize how much resources and free advice there is out there in the industry to help us navigate these types of yeah. things. And to, you know, we caught on all the organizations that that's their role here in New Zealand to support creative artists. And they, you know, they informed us, okay, this, these are how the rights used. And we really recommend that you use a lawyer this way to so that, you know, we've seen this many times and most of that fee will go into things. So do it this way, blah, blah, blah. And we saw this happen with Savage's project. We saw this happen with this project. So we recommend you doing this. And so, yeah, we just, okay, cool. And, you know, we just made our way through. Because there's, there's quite a few. Um, I know you've done some stuff with uh, Rep FM and Prestige and stuff. Because yep. he's a, he's one of those guys that's really um, trying to get the information out there. Because yep. there's a lot of musicians that don't know this stuff. Yep. I mean, I used to work for APRA at one point. Yep. Yo, and I kind of learned how the whole royalty system works. Yep. And then I was like telling a lot of my boys um, how how it all works and hey, you need to protect yourself and you know this contract and you're entitled to a royalty if you're performing live and all these there's yeah. all these things that a lot of artists just don't know. 
man, be shocked about how many still don't know, you know, the, the amount of, the amount of collaboration. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I just do collaborations just to see if they know things, you know, just see if they would offer up that cut or, you know, there's a lot of collaborators and people out there that front that they're in the industry and they're all set up and they're legit and they're hustling and, you know, we'll try to do business and they're not even GST tax registered. So, so you know, they're like, oh, sorry, we can't, can we take the payment another way? We, we haven't been set up this way. But, you know, they're fronting online, like they're all official and everything. And it's like, look, man, we're all trying to re-up here, you know, and do proper business. And you Do know, you call them out on their bullshit sometimes? Be like, hey, come on, man. I'd love to, but I mean, the Fa'alualu and Fa'asamwami pulls me back and yep. says, you know, don't air them out. Just just don't deal with them. Yep. You know, it's not good for business. Like, we're all trying to improve our lives here. Yeah, well, this... New Zealand's a village, right? So you don't really want to burn bridges and stuff with, with people, really, or make a... Uh... Yeah, and you want to give your time to those who do want to respect that space yeah, of collaboration. Yeah, totally. Like, when you hollered through, like, you came through the website and, and all these things, and you were like, how did your company start? Like, the amount of interviews I've done where the interviewer knows nothing about what I've done and yet they've asked for my time to come through and they haven't done any research and all of that, you know, you just don't feel valued and so forth. Yeah, totally, man. Uh, I mean, if I'm I'm asking someone to come on here for like an hour, two hours, particularly if they're not in the Waikato, you yeah. know, and they're coming down from Auckland, yeah, man, like you got to you gotta give them your time, you know? And, yeah. And, and no, and no, I mean, I knew about you anyway, but obviously even before you came in, there was other stuff that I was researching. I was like, oh, true, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so, you know, I always try to free up my time for people who are on the same path of self-improvement, entrepreneurship, who are really trying to create something and, you know, be legit about it, serious about it, that it's not just the front and it's not just for props or ego online, but they're actually serious about making real moves and so forth. So I remember when you hollered through and I was like watching, like I loved the fact that you've got like hip hop guys, but then you've got like politicians and all these different things. Cause I get into that type of stuff myself and I'm like, man, these are really interesting conversations this dude's holding down over there. So yeah. So I try to limit my time with guys in this industry who ain't about that life for real. You know, they can say it online, they can front it, but when we actually have to put pen to paper, or put yeah, some yeah. dollars down, they're not set up for that. They ain't ready to walk the talk. Then, yeah. Do you business. find that you deal with more people though that are not fronting and they're they're actually keeping it real? Or, or... I'm really I'm really grateful that I have uh, my partner in business in life. She's she's the filter for that. Like yeah. no one gets through to me unless it's through her. You know, That's she's, awesome. She's the filter. She's the one that, you know, she's got an amazing background. She's a real people person too. Like I'm like the opposite of her. Like I don't really like talking to people. Oh, you're doing if I don't now. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't need to, I don't want to talk to people. You know, I I prefer to just kick it with my day one as in my in house team and people yeah, on yeah. the same journey. And but she's a very people person. Like she's out there in the arts community and always she you know and so. Uh, she's like a filter for the pretenders that aren't really serious about things and um, and those she's like this opportunity's come up do you want to do it and if I, I know if it gets to that point then it's worth it already yeah. like um, and so I'm really privileged oh, well, I gotta I'm, give a shout out to your wife then yes yeah, so my um, wife Norma um, for Norma for um Passing on the message to anonymous <laughs> thanks a lot yeah yeah so and it was the same thing too like she when she's she, shot it through i saw your your request and i was like man this dude's solid like he's 
you know, he's he's obviously done a bit of research and then, you know, looked up your page and everything. And I was like, man, this guy's grinding. Like, he's got a mean setup. Like, he's building his online tribe. And I'm like, like, we need to, sh- you know, just give him value, like share, share, you know, put some time aside. Even the boys took some time aside just to shadow me down here. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for coming, boys. You know, like, we just, re- <laughs> you, you recognize real when you see it, you know, like people who are on that grind and... That's the kind of people we try to prioritize to be around. And yeah, so yeah, totally. Because um, success wasting. breeds success, right? So if you're if you're in, if you're around people that are successful, yeah. it helps motivate you. Oh man, honestly, I I literally only am where I am because of other people. Like yeah. other people gave me a shot. Like otherwise, I would have just been making average beats in my room, in my bedroom, but. Along the way, so many different people and organizations said, yo, what you're doing there, come do that over here for yeah. this particular project. And you will get to sit alongside this dude from whatever his field is. And I'll just watch them there and then go, how do I apply that to this hip hop thing? And then yeah. and then I take that accumulation of knowledge, move to the next project and then apply it to that. And I'm literally a product of, of my collaborations and people that have given me a shot or an opportunity to do my thing in their space. Yeah. Um, I know you do a bit of mentoring within the community and within South Auckland. Yeah. Um, I did talk to Unchained about this when he was on because I, I know you're heavily involved in that stuff. And obviously uh, South Auckland sometimes has a bit of a negative stereotype as being yep. low socioeconomic class yep. and you know everyone's just all gangsters and just yep. running around causing trouble. But um, in, in, in your experience when, with dealing with a lot of the youth, um, do you find that there's kids that are that music is an outlet for them to escape, you know, some of the bad stuff at home and, and all of that. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a project. Um, it was kind of after that project I started pulling back for a certain period on doing a lot of mentoring and ed- education work. But there's a program my wife and I started with the Auckland Philharmonia Orchestra called APO Remix, where yeah. uh, we we partnered up with Auckland Philharmonia and we basically got their world into the hood and we just put them in the studio with South Auckland kids who have no idea what, what an orchestra does and what those classical instruments do. That's so do. cool, man. The look on their faces when, you know, um, you give them an opportunity to be in a studio, let alone in a studio with this foreign instrument that sounds a certain way, you know, to the majority of them, like they only know the violin from a Disney soundtrack when you press instrument 048 on a Casio keyboard. Yeah. But when you put them in a in a room and you, they actually got real violins, hood kids, to see something outside of their comfort zone. That's yeah. the key part here. That's the key to all of this is you have to, you can, you can only grow when you're outside of your comfort zone. So I when, agree. When you're yeah. surrounded by the same music. And so that was the key part to the whole orchestra thing because yeah. they were always going to have hip hop anyway. Like they're yeah. going to be making beats in their bedroom anyway. So they're really not stretching outside of their comfort zone. So we brought in that element of classical music because it is foreign to South Auckland. Yeah. And for them to kind of then engage with that process about, you know, some of these hood kids are like, you know, they're, they're watching the violinist do a certain way, but they're like, can you do it this way? You're like, you know, their their hood mentality. Yeah. What if you run your ruler on it or can I tap on it, you know, and sample that and yeah. the way they are. And the pride 
in their faces when they kind of engage with some of these programs. So that program in 2013 was one of the top three music programs in the world. So one uh, international music uh, council, which is an arm of UNESCO, the UN. um, So they delegate out three awards for the best programs in the whole world. In 2013, it was one of them. Uh, And we were so proud of that because it was in South Auckland, but it was just a bunch of kids that were stretching outside of their comfort zone. It's easy to make beats in your bedroom, but it's it takes a lot of bravery and commitment in your school holidays to show up to Otara Music and Arts Centre. So how do you convince and, them to even go along in the first place, to, to even step out of their comfort zone, to even convince, so say like a kid convincing them, hey, you should come see an orchestra if they're not even into it? Or do they just, is it the curiosity that just gets them? It's the curiosity, and I leverage a lot of my reputation in those industries. Like in, in in South Auckland, like a lot of people get it twisted. Like my background coming up in music was hood, like making beats for Ehrman, Mr. Sick, the movement, you know, yeah. face killer, and and I love the aesthetic of the music. Like I'm not from the streets, I'm not a gangster or anything, but I just I grew up loving the sound of West Coast LA hip hop, and to me, I'd always grown up thinking that. South Auckland was the West Coast, you know, like us in Maung. Yeah, it has that kind of reputation. Yeah, yep. and so to kind of use that analogy, like Ōtara is the Compton, yep. bringing the heat, yep. and Māngere is chilled out like Long Beach. Yep. So, you know, we were always chilled out in Māngere, and Māngere and Ōtara have always had a very close relationship, shout out FDKNS. And so I've always grown up in the culture of the music, the street element of the music, and so I was always making music with a lot of these, you know, these OGs in South Auckland from the music aspect. So I'd kind of leverage my connection to those guys. So, you know, the kids were like, oh, yeah, that's that dude that did Herman's album or, you know, he's got that Mr. Sick track or whatever. Yeah. And I'm be like, yeah, 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 that's me coming to Autonomy Music Artists. Uh, you know, we got man. this, you good know. Man. And once, once they're in, then they're hooked. Yeah. I'll never forget um, one of the days on one of the programs, my wife and I, got a text from one of the kids, couldn't get a ride in, uh, and we pulled up to their house, state house, and the next door surrounded by armed defender squad, you know, guns out and everything. They didn't blink. They're like, ah, whatever. They just wanted to hop in the car. Yeah. And we're like, what's going on there? And they're like, oh, they got caught, gee, you know, and <laughs> it's like far out, you know, like, and he's leaving that environment taking time out of his day when he could be slang and doing whatever and he came out with us to record some trombones and That's violins cool, and stuff so it's uh yeah the, the media love to play on the fact that we're all street and hood and everything but give us a shot give us a chance our kids a chance i don't then... think it's i don't think it's all like that anyway yeah, t- yeah t- totally not but um yeah as you said the media like to play it up but there's someone who's lived in south Auckland. i mean i'm i'm originally from west Auckland, and i went out south a couple of times and I remember I met a, a rapper on Otara because he wanted to buy some beats off me. Yep. And he's like, yo, man, you need to get out of here by 9.30 p.m. <laughs> and I'm like, why? He's just like, some shit's going to go down. You need to get out of here. And I'm like, yep. okay. Um, but then one of my best mates lives in Otara. So, but why do you think that, you know, the there is that stereotype in South Auckland? Is it a, do you reckon like a generational thing in terms of, you know, kids are just not able to break out of the cycle or they're just exposed to negativity and there just needs to be more positive influence? Yeah. I know for myself in terms of the life changes I've had in the last year or two, um, 
you know, I've come to understand that your environment is one big vision board. You know, what yeah. you see is what you get. Like w- the more you see of something, the more you get of something. So you have to change your environment, change the way you think, completely change what you see in order to have more of that. And that's an indigenous fundamental to all the different cultures and so forth that you've got to really respect your surroundings, the land and everything. So when you're in the South Auckland environments where every corner is a liquor store, every corner is a bakery, a takeaway, and, you know, it's not like that in Rumiera. It's not like that. No, in, you no know, not at all. It, so that's what you're going to get more of. You see junk food, you're going to have more junk food. You see alcohol, you're going to abuse alcohol more. You, you see... The you know the bullet shops all over slang and you're gonna get more of those things and so until you physically change the vision board the environment then you're gonna change the way people see things and so you know it's a hard battle but South yeah, Auckland it's, it's... we were pushed out it, you know it goes it goes back to all these conversations about gentrification how you know Ponsonby you know they wanted to clear that space so they just pushed all the poorest people out to yeah, South Auckland yeah. and you know now they're pushing further and so forth so do you find um with the way Auckland's getting in terms of housing and how expensive it is to live there now, because I'm from there, you know, I know how ridiculous it's getting. Yeah. Do you find that people in South Auckland are struggling more, even more so now than they were before? Or do you think it's still largely the same in terms of, um, you know, because rents are high and housing and, you know, it's, it's um, and you add in the, the liquor stores and the bakeries and, the, and mm. the gangs and stuff. In terms of just of what you see, obviously not. Or d- d- yeah, in terms I, of the youth that you've, you've I, dealt with? Yeah. Um, that's a tricky one because to be really honest, for myself in recent times, I'm so tunnel focused on what, I, on what I'm doing yeah. that I'm unaware. Like I don't buy too much. I, I've had to kind of change the way I think about South Auckland. Like, uh, in terms of what, well, how did you re- used to view it? Very scarcity minded, very poverty minded like there's only so much resources to go around and there's a you know it's the politicians fold it's the system mm. is against us which it is to a certain degree but the the ability to change it is actually no illuminati hidden secret like there is a way out of this to actually take back control of your own life and i only say that because like for example i these days i wake up with a million dollar view like Next to the is, harbour. Is that um? Because I think I saw that on the on Facebook. I think when you and the movement were promoting the Fast yep. and Furious. Is that is that the view yeah. you're talking about? So we're yeah. right next to the Manukau Harbour, That's next awesome. to the bridge. Wake up and live to something I only have ever seen when I was on holiday. Yeah, you know. And there's my beloved Mangere Bridge. There's Mangere uh, Mountain to Paniwa Matahu. Here's his, you know, Te Waihua, the Manukau Harbour, and yeah. so. You know, me and my wife are in business. We were on this lease place, and that was, without getting into details, was way more than what we were the last hood place we were staying at. And so, it was just a mentality switch for me and a reprogramming. But I think, in some thing. ways, like if you think of someone who maybe comes from a uh, lower class and then they end up in that spot, mm. they able to like they appreciate that view more than someone who's just. Yeah, born with that. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. and that's what I mean. Like, even to, I've had to kind of reprogram myself to go. No, you know, we absolutely have worked this hard for this view, and to be in the spot where we can do business and actually leverage everything we've worked hard on in the mm. industry now. But it all comes back to this thing, right? Like, I know life's hard in South Auckland, 
but I'll tell you, like, it's all contextual because for our parents and me and my wife, we are so driven by this. Like, at some point, her father and my father were just tapped on the shoulder and go, you know, they're plantation workers. That's all they know in Samoa. Yeah. That's all they know. And then they got a tap on the shoulder. You know, in three days' time, you're going to have a suitcase and you're going to go to this foreign land, New Zealand. You don't know how to speak the ang- any language. You don't know anyone there, but you are now going to set up the, our family's future there. You know, and so they would have had to come over. They don't know anyone. They don't know the language. They don't have a job. They don't have any money. And then they managed to not only survive, but they thrived. You know, yeah. they built our homes here. They bought how you know, they raised our families. They built the family homes and raised our families in, back in the islands and supported them there. They built the churches. They've allowed us to have careers like this. And I look at how much adversarial challenges they had to overcome on that battle to get us to this point. So whenever I think about South Auckland, it's like, the hood's hard. I'm like, yo, it's not... That hard. Yeah, I like, mean, I I went to India last year, and like that gave me a bit of a reality check. Yep. Yep. In terms of, whoa, okay, like it's very easy, particularly when you live in a small bubble. It's yep. you, it, you're you're basically shut off from the rest of the world sometimes, and it's very and you can end up getting tunnel vision, yep. as you've said, and you can't see things um from another perspective so yeah i think it's uh, it, it's it's always good to get an eye opener to see yeah. these things because you have you've been to samoa I many yeah. many times many I, times i actually i think i've read somewhere that you accompanied john key to <laughs> yeah. samoa yeah man that's what i keep talking about like i'm in my position because somebody decided i was worthy of making beats with john key on a Trip to Samoa, so that was 2012, it was Samoa's 50th independence celebrations, yeah. and they were taking over a delegation, so we went on like the Hercules plane and all of that sort of stuff, yeah, yeah. so it was like a plane full of OG Samoa New Zealanders, so they had all like David Tour, Michael Jones, all the sportsy guys, yeah, yeah. all the politicians, and they took over six artists, so it was a, con- a contingent called Return to Hawaii, like they took over six uh Visual artists, so they had like the OGs of Samoan yeah, art. Yeah. So they had Fatu Feu, Lonnie Hutchinson, and um, yeah. For some reason, at the last minute, they took one of them out, and then they hit me up. They're like, "Would you like to go on this trip and make beats?" And I was like, "Shays, yeah, okay." And just being on that trip again, it was just one of these. I remember being on that trip, like you got these high-end artists and we had to do artist talks. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Fatufel, who's a legendary uh, artist, he was like talking about the depth of his paintings and like the, how he carved this thing and so forth. And everybody had to do that. And I'm like, man, I only make beats in my room. I don't know how to... So I remember lying that night trying to figure something out and I remember lying on my bed and the fan was just flicking around, making this weird sound. So yeah. I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a beat, but I'm only going to use sounds from the island yeah, like yeah. naturally resource it oh, nice. so i sampled it went out started recording things and then i just chopped it up and, and made a beat on the spot and then did my artist talk mm. and it blew their blew their minds they're like man that sounds like music but it, i was like yeah but it's completely made out of uh you know natural resources so that was my my arty thing i was telling them you know natural resources you know you chuck us in the jungle we can take a look around and like okay, okay we can make a feed out of that out yeah. of that, out of that, out of that. If we need shelter, get that branch, get that twig, get that, get that. Okay, cool. Now we got architecture. So I was like, okay, 
I need to make a track. Okay, where's my kick drum? Oh, the wave's crashing. There's my kick drum. I need a snare. Uh, okay, that guy just dropped that paint can. Okay, cool. That's my snare drum. And so I just adopted that mentality and did my artist talk on that trip, which was so a So was this just in a was hotel? Was that an art, art gallery there? Art so gallery, the right, Vanya, yeah. Vanya Tole Alo Art Gallery. So it was on some Kanye-ish, but the Pacific version yeah, of yeah, it, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and I just remember coming off that trip, people were like, man, yo, that was dope, man. You need to do more of that. And I was like, really? Okay. And then I came back to New Zealand and then I started doing that thing for like art galleries, museums, like a real bougie avant-garde crowd and um they they loved it but i i made sure i kept the music production and hip-hop yeah, yeah, thing yeah. taking over and that's when i started really expanding my mindset about yo man this music production thing could be as big as you you know yeah. it, it's like i was saying you, you got to take the blinders off like if you just look at it, it's just making beats and then that's what it is and th there's nothing wrong with that like but for the kind of personality that i had i've, I've always been just one of those, those like you know, just looking around. What else is buzzy in this? Like, I, I need to continuously learn. I need to continuously figure something out. I don't want to figure out something I've already figured out or mm. do something I've already done. I need something to keep me interested in. Do you, do you ever take a break, though? Or is music always on your mind? Like, sometimes you're like, oh, yo, I'm just going to take a break for a couple of days. Or you're like, nah, i got to always keep working. I'm, I'm just freestyling. Honestly, like, me and my wife just freestyle. We're living our best lives. We're yeah. like... Well, you're yeah, doing maybe, well, man. Maybe we could move that around. Like, do you need a break here? Do you feel like doing some some sco film scoring right now? Or do you want to do some hip-hop? Or do you want to, you know, and then we just kind of plan ahead in, a, yeah. in advance. But, yeah, it's I'm just fascinated and just building stuff out of digital content. That, that's kind of like where I'm now. Yeah, like, yeah. if I'm making, I'm either making music, shaping sound, or shaping video. That's so if, basically what I'm So doing. when you're not doing music or film or any of that stuff, what do you, what do you like to do in your spare time? You're like, oh, I don't have any spare time. <laughs> yeah, man. I guess this is. I'm kind of similar to Gary V in this instance. Yep. My downtime is work. Yeah. Uh, but it's like maybe work. But then, if some... you enjoyed it, is it really work? I don't think it's work. Yeah, but that, that's it. That's yeah. it. It's, it's not work to me. Like, I mean, yeah. I do have downtime. Like, you know, drink with the boys and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like my me and my wife, we love hunting for Afghans. Uh, oh, true. Yeah, like everywhere we see an Afghan, we're like. We have a rating system. Yeah. So we have these little gimmicks that we, quirky things that we work into our lives as a step outside of the creative zone. But no, the creative zone for me never stops. Yep. Like it's my mind is just wired the way it is that it's always ticking and clicking potential rearrangement of things to use in a potential story. So Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, true, man. Would so, yeah, you, there's not too much downtime at the moment. Not too much downtime. But would you want downtime anyway? Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, I I realize the need for rest and re recreation, so I'm trying to get better at it. My wife's really trying to help me through it. Like, I did do well there for a certain does period. She, does, she, does she be like, oi, get off the keys, take a rest? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, this, this whole week, like literally this whole week, only because I've got a lot of uh, critical projects that are... Um, coming to conclusion like each night i'm only catching like three hours two three hours sleep yeah, yeah. per day um, Yo, but then, man, that ain't good bro i know that i know that's not good yeah. i absolutely know but it's kind of whatever it takes to get certain things done because i know yeah, yeah. that that is critical to the next move yeah yeah uh, and like man the majority of our projects at the moment are embargoed like i didn't even know what the word embargo means like until she's like yeah we can't talk about this publicly and legally until you know and yeah, so yeah. 
I look at those opportunities and I'm like, man, what if we take that opportunity and 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 cross pollinate it with that opportunity there and that yeah. thing there? And when you kind of figure out the logical steps, in the same way as a producer, you know, you're like that kick goes with that snare with that hi hat. Like I, business is a big thing for me at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're really looking to just just build up like the business and equity. So how, how did how did you get like a bit of a business mind? Have you always had a business mind, or did you have to kind of learn? Man, it's yeah. Well, did learn it because no, you, I don't really know that much about business. I've only yeah. learned about business by having guests on here talking about it. Really, I didn't really think about it until our first year in business. Like, uh, like I've always been like the past ten years. I've only been doing this. Like, yeah, I've never worked a I've never worked a real job in my life. I've only ever opened the laptop for a living and mm. made stuff. But it wasn't until, like I said, when we started our thirty-seven hertz company after the first year. And then my wife um, came home and she, oh, you got to sign here on the tax returns. And she was like, that's how much you made on music last year. And I was like, yeah, I, I've never paid close attention to it. Yeah. And I was like, Good thing you got her, man. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> damn, for real? Oh, that's crazy. Okay. And she was like, you, you just got to, you know, it, it's, it's great. But it can't come at a personal cost to you, you know, your, your mental health and your yeah, well, yeah. like. You've got to scale back on some of these things. But it just caught, you know. She was like, "You've been doing this for a long time. You're naturally inclined." And that's what I said. Like, in terms of that whole producer mind, where you're kind of figuring out if it's music, it's that kick goes with that snare, that hi hat, that chorus goes with that bridge. And videography is like that shot goes with that shot and that transition. Yeah. So business is like that opportunity should go with that opportunity there and that'll set up that thing there. And so I just kind of view business as uh, as part of the production process. So we've got, because we've um, done a lot of projects in different areas of the creative industry, like I'm not just a music producer, even though that's like my, my foundation, because I've done you music wear a lot production. Of hats. Yeah, a lot of hats. So all those hats that I wear in different worlds, each one of those is a ver- is a business vertical. So yeah. you can go, okay, that partner that thing up with that and talk to them. And if they can see the value in it, now you've got a project and a and a cash flow. You yeah, and yeah, so yeah. forth. So where she was like, Do you realize how many verticals you're sitting on as a producer? And then I was like, Whoa, okay, let me convert that to business. And like I said, at the moment I mean, it's a bit of a freaky jump to to make some of the moves that we're uh, we've been making, and I can only testify because I used to be a skeptic of a lot of the stuff, and I, I, you know, I've had to move from a scarcity mindset to anything's possible. So, anyone. how how do you shift that mindset, or how did you shift it? Because it, it can be a very difficult thing to do. Podcasts, listening to podcasts yeah. like yours, information, people who are. Putting out information that's it's free inf- information. Like you don't have to go to uh, pay money to go to university. So like, you know, I just started listening. Like I, I can't find any exact mentors right now. I could if I wanted to and yeah, had the yeah. time and stuff, but I haven't even had time to do physical mentors. So I just watch content online and you know Gary nice. V, Grant Cardone, Dan Locke, all these different guys saying, "Hey, do business. You know, try this, try this, try this." And I, because I've already been doing it without even knowing that I was doing business, I was like, "Oh, okay. Let me structure things a certain way." And sure enough, it works. I know I had to change my mindset because in South Auckland, you are programmed by your environment to think a certain way. So I was like, I have to re- we reprogram the way I think about things. So seek out the content online. Joe Dispenza, uh, Greg Braden, um, the d- different gurus who kind of talk about how the mind works yeah, and yeah. I was like and same thing I applied it damn things change 
So the information, we're, we're living in this amazing era where the information is online. Mm-hmm. Like I can honestly say, uh, like some of the podcasts I've caught of yours has freaking changed some of my mindset uh, like, about certain things that you talk about. And so I just started realizing, you know, you've just got to be hungry enough to spend less time on wasting your time online and convert that time where you're just getting yeah. mindless stuff it actually it's very easy some. to do though and get, uh, and get totally. sucked in yeah. and that's i mean you know so it's it's good in a way that you're not too much on social media because it's you can once you're down the rabbit hole man it's <laughs> it's hard to get out yeah and, and like my wife always reminds me like one of the thing one of the things i've learned in business and many mentors across many spaces have said the same thing whether you like it or not, the best product never wins. The best known product wins. Yeah. And I've always felt objectively that I've had the best product in different spaces. But I don't talk about myself. I've never put myself out there. But in terms of now the space that we're in where we're looking to scale and really uh, leverage a lot of what we've done in the dark and now executed in the light, I had to be on social media and I had to put out content and I had to, you know, so forth. So it's about getting that that balance. But at the same time, like you say, you've got to have that integrity when the camera's off, when you're not on social media. So I'm not a different yeah, person. I think, I think a lot of people put up walls or they just put up a front on social media. Oh, totally. Some of the stuff they say online, they'd never say to a person. They'd probably get a jab in the face, probably. Oh, my, we know that. <laughs> we we know that so, so well. You know, like I said, it's a collaborative industry. And the amount of people that we have to step into a business or collaborative space with, and yeah, let, cool, let's do this. And then they're not even set up to do this, or yeah. they're not optimized to do this. Then it's like, well, I, you know, you you put it out like that, yeah. but in real life, you ain't even about that. So, yeah, we, it's it's a balancing act. This whole social media thing, uh, but like I said, we're, we're just in this business space of leveraging, and it was really content that really helped me on that. Instead of just spending. You know, mindless hours just searching through YouTube on just music. I, I I love my music, so when I do allocate my music time, it's specific to that purpose. But any other time online, if I'm on YouTube, instead of four hours on YouTube music, it'll be one hour doing music and three hours self improvement, yeah. like learning how to do how to compress ratios and or learning how to do your taxes or learning how millionaires manage their money and Mm. and so forth and so it's just constantly you know these days i'm a content creator but i'm also a product of being a content consumer yeah so i just kind of push out content and make music in the way that i know it's benefited me my Mm. life's changed massively in the past year that's cool personally spiritually financially business-wise and as my wife said, most of our life is embargoed at the moment. A lot of people view master as this amazing thing that was like a finish line. Master for us was just a start line. Yeah. Like we've got so many things that have popped up, not necessarily because of that, but in spite of that. Yeah. So. Well, I look forward to um, hearing about that later down the line. Yeah. Do you think, um, do you think you'll always stay in South Auckland or would you ever move anywhere else or would you move back move back uh, to Samoa or anything or definitely want to want to want to do something back in Samoa yeah I mean the spot that we've got man I can honestly say man it's freaking blessed man yeah like every every day when I open my eyes when I wake up and I sit up I'm like you know I got another another day got another shot you yeah know? and to to like the 
I want to take myself back to zero. Like everything that I've done to this point counts. Every day I wake up, it's like uh, I remember the World Cup, Richie McCall, when he was like, uh, you know, you just cross it off. You forget about what you've done in the past. I mean, it's nice to brag and hang on it, but it's like, no, the, the next thing is the most important yeah, yeah. thing. And so I, I've i always won, like South Auckland is home to me and my wife. Yeah, like she's totally. Ōtara, I'm Māngere, we FDKNS rep it. Like, but at the same token, what drives us is we are very, um, we are very driven on repaying the cultural debt our parents laid. What I mean by that is, like I said, our parents lived a, totally different life in Samoa and they had their inherent things they were passionate about and their lifestyles, their customs, their cultures, they had to drop all of that and put it on pause or completely abandon it to come here and live under the system of New Zealand and, yeah. and work the lowest paid jobs and clean people's toilets and all these type of things just so we could have an education and have a shot at a better life. So now that my wife and I are in these positions where we hold massive leverage in the spaces we're in, we had to repay that debt to our parents. That culture that was put on hold, now that we're in this spot, we had to take that culture and ramp it, pay it back, and put, push it out through our platforms so that we can move into the future without having any debt to the past. Yeah. So in terms of South Auckland, South Auckland will always be home, but I need to. we were driven to do something back in the islands just yeah. to kind of complete the mission our parents set out on and then set up uh, whatever it is for our kids and let, you know, put, put uh, parameters in place and things in place for them to kind of um, see what, what's possible mm. and for them to pursue their own aspirations and dreams. I need to go to Samoa at one, some point. I've been wanting to go for years and I yeah, just man, haven't it's, gone. It's the spot, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there any, and when, when I do go, is there anything in particular? Any any places I should check out or a particular? Uh, well, well, me and Loretta here. We actually, oh, actually, yeah, we actually got another plan. We're going to be there in two weeks. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, for another project. For oh, uh, another project that's going to have massive implications for Samoans here in New Zealand. That's cool, man. Uh, and so we're going for that project, but now we're trying to leverage another project and and build a gig while we're there and so yeah. forth. And Samoa's, you know, it's it's home. It's where we come from as well. But we also. South Auckland's home to me too. Like, and every day I, I like, I'm a, I'm product of Margaret at two seven five. So, you know, that's where I feel home. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Margaret Bridge Esplanade. There's a spot that I've been going to ever since as a kid. Um, go, I try to go back there every, you know, every few months, and I people know me for it. I off. Sorry, th this is when I do switch out. Actually, come to answer one of your further questions. When things used to get too much. I used to just pack my bags, chuck on headphones, get some liquor, and just go sit at this particular spot in Mangere Bridge and just the whole day just watch the sunset and just listen to the mixes or projects I've been working on, have a cry, whatever it is, just get it out of the system and then go back and, and keep working. Mm. That, I've been doing that ever since a kid. It blows my mind that to this day, that spot I was sitting at, if I turn right, I now see the place where we... Yeah. My wife and I now reside and do our, all our work. So life has this real funny way of just, yeah, pulling these tricks on you and just preparing you for things that, does, that were man. always there. The always. answers are, were always there. You just got to turn your head and have a look around the room. Sometimes the answers run in front of you and you don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I'm probably going to wrap up there unless there's anything else you want to talk about. Yep. Nah, nah. I just want to say it's actually cool seeing you guys because... 
I'm originally from West Auckland and I grew up around a lot of Samoans. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, once you move out of Auckland, you don't see many of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been in Hamilton, Hamilton a few years now and I, and I haven't actually um, met any Samoans down here yet. So um, seeing you guys has actually reminded me back of uh, West Auckland a little bit. And we well, filled, we, we filled out the stadium for the Tosamo Tonga game for the Rugby World Cup. We yeah, came down for I wasn't that. I was... wasn't here. I was in Rotorua, so I was like, ah, but um, yeah, I'd imagine. I mean, I know how what Tongan fans are like. Yeah, yeah. but I remember, like, yeah, we all drove down for that, and yeah. we all went back. Again, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That was, that was cool. But, but yo, man, it's um, thanks again for coming through, bro. Oh, um, just for if me, anyone wants to get a hold of you, well, they're not going to get a hold of you. They'll get a hold of um. Uh, the wife but um where's the best way to contact you just um your website yeah the website anonymous.com yeah uh, so that's a-n-o-n-y-m-o-u-z everyone remember the z everyone gets confused with the s yeah uh, I'll, I'll put it yeah. in the link yeah. on youtube and spotify yeah. and so anonymous.com and then on the usual social media channels it's uh, anonymous underscore 37 hertz so a-n-o-n-y-m-o-u-z underscore three seven h-z yeah Cool. All right. Well, that's the show, guys. Uh, we're probably going to finish. Anonymous is going to do a piece on the piano if the piano doesn't play up, which I'm hoping it doesn't. But um, yeah, make sure you check him, check him out and all his stuff online. Uh, yeah. And thanks again, my bro. Thanks for having me, Mills. All right. That's the show, guys.